So this is July. That means we're about halfway through the year. Which means we need to bring up something from the beginning of the year. So how's everybody doing on their New Year resolutions? <laughs> I take it by some of the responses, maybe not all that well. <laughs> if you don't make it, you don't break it. Maybe you would choose to forget about what you made. What New Year's? Oh, did I did I do that again this year? Anybody succeeding on it? Maybe that'd be a smaller group. Two, three, four. Four people succeeding on New Year resolutions. Why? Why? How do you succeed at the things that we choose to forget that we even committed to do? When I, when I was reading this chapter this week, all I could think about was this. Like Josiah had a desire for something different. He did. It's seen in the way he responds, the way he reacts. It's seen, especially when looking at Chronicles and some stages in his life and stuff like this. And I, and I want to make sure we understand it because you got to have a desire for something different in order for those New Year resolutions to get made. And you got to have an extreme desire for something different and the commitment to it if you're going to be one of the four people that raise their hand. If not, you'll be like the rest of us of what, uh, say what, who, how, I don't know. It, if we don't have that desire, it doesn't happen. So Josiah's got this desire for something different. You could say it this way. Productive change doesn't happen by accident. It's not an accident that revival starts in this land. It's not an accident that he starts rebuilding the temple. It's, it's not even an accident really that they, they found the law. You'll see the sermon title, Look What I Found, which I thought was very fitting because one day they find the law again. They find the word. They found their relationship with God, uh, at least for a, a larger portion than most of the generations before. We found a king who's on fire for the Lord. You know, we, we don't get to see a lot of that through the book of Kings, but, but today we get it. And when we look at Josiah and we, we think about our, our current application in life with a desire to do something different, Josiah recognized that something needed to change in the nation. And not only did he recognize that something needed to change, he was willing to take the steps to change it. It doesn't do us any good to recognize that we need change if we're not willing to take the steps to produce the change. Doesn't do us any good to watch the news at night and be like, man, this world is just going downhill fast if we're not going to be willing to do something to change it. Doesn't do any good to say, man, that church can be so much better if, if you're not willing to be the if to fix it. That, that class or that person, I could, I could really minister to them. They could really help. They, they could do this. They could, they could be so much more, but yet you're not willing to push them to be more. Or if you need some real life application and make sure you understand where I'm going, doesn't do any good to stand on the scale and look in the mirror. And not be happy the way you look if you're not willing to produce some sort of work to change it. It's no different spiritually than it is physically. So as we jump into this thing, here's some practical steps maybe that we can see to, to change our own lives. But before we do, I want to jump forward one chapter, chapter 23. Yes, we would be there any, any week next week. But here's what it says about Josiah summarizing his life. Verse 25, before him there was no king like him who turned to Yahweh with all his heart and with his soul and with his mind and with his might. According to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after. So this guy's like a Hezekiah in a sense of, whereas we looked at Hezekiah a few weeks back, at, in regard to trust, there was no other king ever like Hezekiah. Whereas for Josiah, there was no other king like him who was devoted to God. How about you, but devotion seems to be a very prized commodity in today's day and time. Right? Well, whatever you're devoted to, hopefully it's something good and something or someone good and someone by, but that devotion. Yeah. So we would crown Josiah as being, no one ever being more devoted to God than he was. And as, as Mitch started the, the whole section, we get that summary like we always get for each of the kings written in kings. It says he was eight years old. So he's a young guy when he becomes king. He reigns 39, 31 years. So you don't need math to know that he dies early. Injuries from his mother's name, which, which we could go in. If you weren't here with us last week, I do want to point that out. If he lost his dad, last week we looked at a man who had lost his dad and became very evil. This week we see somebody who lost their dad and yet mama stepped up to the plate and made sure he was raised the right one. So we get, we get the exact correlation opposite of what it was last week, which I love what scripture does. So last week we, we had to ask, you know, somebody at that age, at eight, how many decisions was he really making solely on his own? Probably a lot of them were being influenced by mama and those around him, such as this priest who became his mentor and, and, and whatnot. So your your past life, your family life, the history of your family, the history of your people doesn't have to determine who you are. 
And I'm not going to be one who's going to be willing to surrender over to just say, oh, well, they're a victim of circumstance. No. Does that make it harder? Yes. Does it mean they got to work more? Yes. But do they have to stay a victim of circumstance? No way. Not if we believe what's written in the word of the Lord and, and we preach it. So we see that his mama must have stepped up to the plate and done an awesome job. And then it says he did what was right in the Lord's sight. and He walked in the ways of his ancestor, David. He did not turn to the left or to the right. Here's what I love about it. Even at a young age, starting out early, he's already better than the rest of the kings. Which we know is a very low totem pole, so it doesn't take much to be better than some of these kings that we looked at. So I'm grateful that Josiah didn't just look and be like, man, I'm better than most of those that were before me. I'll just ride it out that way. He desires what you're going to see in the book of Chronicles and a little bit later in life. He desires to continue to not be satisfied with a good start. And not be satisfied with good enough. He wants to push this thing as far as he can push it. For as long as he can push it. To the extreme that he can push it. So Josiah comes to reign. Assyria is beginning to decrease. Babylon and, and, and media they were on the rise. Egypt's power is starting to be revived again. From way back when. And he's going to take full advantage. Of this time frame. Last week we said that he was set on the throne. By the people of the land. If you remember his dad was killed. Because he was evil and the people didn't like him. And rather than turning like the northern kingdom where somebody else would just be able to take over the throne, the people of the land made sure that this dynasty, the, the heir, the line of David, stays in. And they, they get this eight-year-old onto the throne to do it. He's advised by uh, Hilkiah, the high priest. Uh, we know from Zephaniah chapter 1 and Jeremiah chapter 25 that both of these guys as prophets uh, encouraged and, and, and preached and, and probably guided and, and ministered to him. He grew up to restore the worship of the God, of, of, of our God, Yahweh, and to remove the foreign influence of the land. So when we look at this thing in the very beginning, it says this, that he always did what was right. What, is, what does that really mean? You think he never made a mistake? No, of course not. Of course he's going to make some slip-ups and, and mistakes here. What he's saying is he never strayed, he never backslid, never got off course. What he's saying is, is he was a guy who was focused. And if we're going to be one of the four people who's able to raise their hand and say that I'm going to continue to do the things that I've committed to do, we're going to have to stay focused. Not distracted from our calling and our purpose. You know, not, not distracted from, from all the things around us that could distract us. Not distracted by the temptations that are all around us. And then in verse 3 it says this, because he wasn't distracted, he stayed focused. He didn't waver to the left or to the right, which is a, a wording that's used in Deuteronomy and Joshua a lot. It says in the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent the court secretary... And the Lord's temple, and he told him, he said, I want you to go, I want you to get the priest, I want you to do some stuff. Now what that means is this, because we got a, a large gap if we only look at kings. So it's the 18th year of his, his reign, so he's 26 years old now. He's got some experience under him. And I'll tell you right now, if you start something young, it's good. Make sure you get you some experience under you before you try to do some major things. Right? Anybody can testify to that? You need some real life experience before you're able to do some of the things that you probably want to do. You need something that's going to push you and encourage you and, and build you up in this way. And sometimes that comes from some failure in life. And sometimes that comes from success in life. So in the past 18 years, evidently he's learned a couple things. And while Kings leaves the gap, I want to look back. So if you've got your parallel passage marker for those note takers, 2 Chronicles 34 is our parallel passage for today. And it says some things about Josiah before he goes to repair this temple. I'm going to read one through three. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of Yahweh, and he walked in the ways of his father David. Didn't turn to the left and didn't turn to the right. For in the eighth year of his reign, so how old is he now? 16. Eight plus eight. We'll make sure you get it right. So at 16 years old, here's what Chronicles, as he's filling in this gap before we get to our section in Kings, it says in his eighth year of his reign, so at 16, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the, the God of his father, David. So at 16, he joined a middle school group or a youth group, and he started checking some things out. And in checking some things out, which we all know there is very limited in the, the environment that he was in, he was still able to find a hunger and a thirst for a relationship with Yahweh. So at 16, he makes this commitment. I'm going to give my life and start seeking God and what God desires. All right. Then it says this in the 12th year. So four years later, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places 
the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. Reminds me of a verse in Timothy that says, don't you ever let anybody look down on your youth. Because here we got a guy who at eight becomes a king. At 16, seeks out enough desire to know I need to search for the Lord. And then at 20, begins to go in and do the things that some of his, I guess that being his great, great grandfather, had done with cleaning out the carved images and the things in the temple that needed to be removed. Now you think that would blow your mind to see somebody in that age group being the one who is setting the tone for everybody else. Yet this is what he does. So 16, seeking the Lord. 20, starts removing idolatry. He's, he's not going to let anybody look down on him because of his youth. He's not going to let anybody look down on him because of the environment around. And we see it again, like I said at the beginning, change doesn't happen by accident. But to add to that, so if you got that note, change doesn't happen by accident, add to it. we got to be specific about what we're going for. Right? My wife tells me to stop by the grocery store, which we don't have a grocery store on the way home from work, but uh, it's part of living in the country. Uh, my, my wife tells me to leave work, go to Somerville so that you can pass a grocery store on the way home from work. And she says, bring home some good food. You can imagine her definition of good food and my definition of good food may be a little different. So I'm going to walk down the chip aisle, the Oreo aisle. Yeah, I get an amen there, right? So I'm going to get some beef jerky, which we both like beef jerky, so that's good. I'm going to grab some dews. Uh, that's Mountain Dew for those sinners in the room that don't know what it is. Uh, I'm going to get some ice cream, uh, preferably the mint chocolate chip or some of that uh, mocha flavor so that I can make one of those shakes Carlos got me hooked on, which I think is where my extra 5 to 10, 15 pounds has came from. Uh, so, so I don't mind going to the grocery store and getting good stuff. But if I come home and that's all I got, you think my wife's going to be thrilled with my grocery items? No. But if my wife tells me, hey, I want you to go to the grocery store, I want you to get some fruits, some vegetables, some chicken, some beef, some stuff we can make dinner with, a healthy dinner for the family. I want you to get some waters and some cranberry juice and, you know, my coffee, which is, I automatically know the flavor and the brand and all that, that it has to be. So that's all she has to say. But if she gets real specific, then I can get the right stuff, right? If we're not going to be specific with what we're going for, we're going to fail. Josiah is very specific. He says, I'm going to start tearing down all these idols. Not only am I going to tear them down and what's about to happen, I'm going to rebuild the Lord's house because the Lord's house has been just left in ruin for my dad and my granddad, Manasseh, you know how evil he was for so long. So you could say it this way, maybe. Vague goals produce vague success. If you want to know why you're not happy with your success, you're like, oh, that's kind of like a vague success, because you've got vague goals. And as long as you've got vague goals, you're going to receive vague successes. So Josiah gets to this part and he says, and I love this, guys, because let's be honest. Manasseh, he didn't get right to the end of his life. So it's safe to say a lot of the people probably weren't getting right as far as in, in, in large numbers. Amon comes in. He was an idiot. So he rules horribly for a couple years. And, and, and people hate him so much they, they, they kill him on their own. That's how, how you know rough he was going to be as a leader. So the, the environment this guy's growing up in is horrible. It's You could say it this way. It's spiritually empty. Yet Josiah decides to rise above spiritual emptiness and find a relationship with the Lord, seek out the Lord, grow in the Lord, grow in his knowledge of the Lord, rise above peer pressure, rise above the masses. You can say this way, Josiah swam against the current of his day. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need some more people who are going to start swimming against the current of the day. Some people that are going to say, you know what, it might be accepted everywhere and it might be becoming more of the norm. But if it's not the Lord's will, then I'm not going to accept it. Because I've got a standard. You can, you can say it that way. You better have a standard. And you better see the standard. And your standard, as we look at with Josiah, wasn't the neighbors, it wasn't the kings before him. His standard is going to become the word of the Lord. And your standard, my standard, better be Christ. That's why he says, you don't compare yourself to nobody except for me. Even Paul, when he gets his followers and they look at him like, oh, you know, we want to follow you. What does he tell them? You can follow me, but you can only follow me. Why? Because I'm following Christ. So we better have a standard as we as we look at this kind of thing so that we know which way we're going here. He began to realize, and you can kind of picture this. I wonder if it was something like David and Solomon and others before when they were sitting in their in their palace. The palace had gotten right. You can imagine how beautiful the palace probably was because of the evil kings. You know they made sure their house, what, looked awesome. Right? It's all about me, so I'm going to make sure my place looks great. 
And I, and, and I picture Josiah probably walking around the palace one day admiring, man. Look at what, look at what my lineage has done. Look at what my dad did. Look at what my granddad did. Look at what the dad before him did and, and so forth. But we also know from Solomon what you can look out the window and see what? The temple. So I picture at one of those moments, remember when Solomon looked out the window and saw the temple? I, I picture maybe Josiah, maybe he's passing that exact same window, great, 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 great granddaddy walked past. And he looks out and he sees this temple and he goes, that's what we've loved happen to the house of the Lord. And, and, and what was wrong with that? I don't know. Maybe the walls were falling. Maybe the windows were broke. Maybe paint was chipping. I don't even know if they had windows back then. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what it was. But something in him looked out and he saw that and he goes, man, I, I can't live in here comfortably and look out there and know that's what we're doing with the house of the Lord. And as they had a physical house in the Old Testament, what, what is the temple the Spirit dwells in today? Us. So why do you think James makes a big point to say when you look in the mirror and you're foolish enough to do nothing with what you saw? Right? Maybe we need to look in that mirror and check out the temple, his temple, his dwelling place, and realize, man, something's got to change. Behind those eyes is so much evil when it's supposed to be so much joy. Or behind that, that, that frown is supposed to be a smile. Or maybe it's in our homes when we look at the other temples that, that he dwells in in our house and we look at him and why? My spouse is so unhappy. Well, then do something about it. This guy didn't look out the window and be like, man, God's house is just horrible. I'm going back to sit in the front room so I don't have to look at it anymore. Sometimes I think that's our mindset. We think we look at our kids or our spouse or our family members or our coworkers or whatever it is that we're supposed to be responsible for. And rather than do something about it, when we see they're indestructible, we just sit back and say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to look at that anymore. Because if I don't look at it, that means it's not really real and not really happening, right? If I don't stand on the scale, it doesn't mean I've gained any weight, right? If I just start buying all sweatpants, it doesn't mean I need to buy another size of pants because the sweatpants are universal and they're great. You know, that's why the athletic shorts are so popular now, guys. It's not just the style, it's the comfort, right? But think about this. This is where he's at. What did he say? Verses three and four. He sends Shapin to go find the high priest and he commissions him, man, let's rebuild God's house. More than that, we get a little a little backdrop of what, what went on here. He goes, not only are we going to rebuild the Lord's house, I remember that we've been storing up money to get this thing done. And that money's still sitting there. So what does he tell him? He goes, well, while you're doing it, I want you to go get all that silver and all that money in the treasury of the temple you know, and, and I want you, and I want you to pay the workers with it. We focus so much on trying to store up so much for ourselves that we forget how much we got stored up because we never use it for others like it's supposed to be stored up for. Right? I, I, I don't know how long, you know, from, from when one knucklehead gave money away and another knucklehead came in and stored more or, you know, whatever with these leaders we've gone down. I don't know how long that specific amount of silver had been sitting in the temple. But if he'd never had this desire, just sat there and did what? Nothing. Useless. And, and he goes in and he says this, verse 5 and 6. Now, I like this. When you read between the lines. Takes this over. He says, let them deliver it to the hand of the doers of the work. So so what does that mean? You got, you got to, remember the Bible doesn't, you can't get every single sentence of what's going on. Go deliver it to, the, to those that are the doers of the work. Doesn't that mean they're already working? Is that right? All right. So that means somebody heard King Josiah, they heard this priest, they heard this scribe, and they said, you know what? I, I'm on board with this. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to start working. And they're working. They're going to town. They're painting. And they're redoing the walls. And they're redoing this. And they're, they're getting the windows right. And they're, they're overlaying everything. And they're just getting it real pretty and, and everything right. And while they're working, somebody walks in and says, hey, man, I got some money for you. The reason I love this, I want to make sure you understand it. They were willing to do it without a paycheck. They were just faithfully had a desire to get on board with what this king had promoted and they're getting to work and they're doing it. That they will have oversight in the house of the Lord and give them to the doers of the work. Uh, those that are building, the carpenters, the masons, uh, the timber, the stone workers, all this stuff. And he says, and you know what? When you do it, don't even count it. And they're not going to count it. And it even says that word in there on why? Because of the integrity of this group. Can you imagine having that kind of integrity with people? 
I, I've got a few customers, they will pay with cash still. And as they, they pay, there's a lot of times I'll grab it and put it in my pocket. And Jeremiah being new and all, he'd be like, man, you, you're not going to count that. I don't have to. I, just, I have people in my life that I, I, just, I can trust that way where I, I don't have to worry about it. Now, at one point, it was I didn't have to worry about it because I would have got it back if it wasn't right when I counted it later. And, and the new part of it now is, man, a guy like you, we're going to make sure we keep straight, right? Which, which is, is just crazy to think about. But do you have people like that in your life? Do you, do, do you have people who are motivated this way? Josiah said, although they had no expectations of being paid, I want you to pay them anyhow. They weren't doing it for the money, but the, you then could say that the money then is what? A blessing and a reward from the Lord. Right? You could almost say it this way. As these guys are being dedicated, we know times on the outside of the temple probably weren't that great. God had a way of stepping in right on time to take care of his children. We don't know the condition of these people. Let's be honest. If, if that was the type of workforce they were in, they probably weren't the most rich or the most successful people in the, in the town. But they were the ones, and like true most of the time today, they were the ones that were willing to put their hands in and get involved. And God said, I'm going to bless my children that way. Why? Because when you serve the Lord with a pure heart, God will step in right on time to take care of things. And that's the kind of confidence in the faith they had it. When you're not looking for it, God will step in and bless you anyhow. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe that's part of your testimony. Is like there was a moment where you didn't expect it. You didn't do it for that. But God comes in and, and treats you right anyhow. We've had people do stuff in the church and they didn't know they were going to get you know paid or reimbursed for it or whatever. And they're like amazed. What? I, I didn't know this was... I didn't even know this was part of the deal. And that that right there, to me, that's when you find genuine people. Not somebody looking for a paycheck or looking to make a living. I remember when I went to school, man, one of the most heartbreaking things, well, a couple of things, but one of the most heartbreaking things I ever remember, sitting in the class with ministers, let me remind you, probably third year, somewhere in there, so people who, I mean, they were, they were in it for the long haul, right, or supposed to be. And we're going around the room talking about our calling, and, and one of the students says, Oh, I just figured out that's the way you can make a killer. Now that blows our mind, but how true is it? How true is it? Come on. Huh? We got pastors building million dollar homes. We got hundreds of thousand dollars in salaries going. We got churches where budgets spend more on the, their staff than they do on the entire church. Let's just be honest about it, right? What we got going on. And, and we want to be amazed that this guy noticed that he can make money by doing it. We're not looking for men with integrity anymore. We're looking for somebody who can put on the best show. And they can put on the best show and keep things going. And guess what? Oh, everybody's happy. That means the offering box is getting full more. Well, they had plates because they pass them around. They got to beg for the money. We don't do that, right? They, they get all that going on. Why? Probably because people have lost their integrity. It's almost like God blesses these guys with a, with a, with a sneak attack. And here, here's a huge point. Here, huge point. One, they're working, right? So, so they, they get this blessing as they're working. One, they're doing what they know is right. Notice throughout all the Josiah's stuff, as Mitch just read and we go through, he's doing what he can with what he's got at every stage in his life. He doesn't even have the word yet, guys. The word's about to come. But he's doing what he can with what he's been given. But how often is it we've got an excuse? Oh, you know, I... I can't do it. I just ain't got that. I ain't, I, but what are you doing with what you got? He's doing everything he can with what he's got. There's no doubt about it. And every time God gives him a little more, he does a little more. And he does a little more. And he does a little more. Some of you ain't getting nothing because you're not using what God's blessed you with. Why would God waste his blessing on that? If we're just honest about it, right? You're not going to dump a bunch of money into something you know is going to fail, would you? So why, why would you expect God to be any different? Look at what they get when they're while they're working, look at what they get. Verse 8. The high, pri- high priest told the court secretary, uh, yeah, court secretary Shaman, I have found the book of the law. I found the Torah. I found something that we, we were supposed to have already had in the Lord's temple, and he, and he gave it to this guy, and this guy read it. They didn't just happen upon this book of the law. They found it because they were doing something in the house of the Lord like they were supposed to be doing. Some of us wonder why we ain't getting what others got because you ain't doing what others doing. Right? You're not going to get what everybody's got if you're not looking where everybody's looking. And, And it goes even further. They were positioned in a position to find the book 
because they were in the Lord's house. Because why? They looked at the Lord's house and they were disgraced with the way they had treated it. They had a desire to do something different because they weren't happy the way things are looking. Seeking to honor God by repairing the temple. And in that work, God gives them the law. And we're going to see this, this revival that takes place because of, but this revival is not because they've stumbled upon something by accident in the street. It's because they found something specific while they were in a specific area of their lives. You're not going to just randomly get a revival. We always talk about, oh, we need revival in this country. We need, we need, you know, revival's not coming like naturally, guys. That's not a natural thing. That's why it's called revival. That means somebody's got to put the paddles on you and, and get you revived. Right? Because to be revived meant you must have been. Right. I want to make sure we understand that too. Because sometimes I hear churches talk about this revival thing and they think like it's this annual thing that is like really good news. Right? Oh, we got that revival coming. Why? Do you plan on dying the day before it? Like, I, I don't understand. I'm just asking. The word revive means to bring back to life. So you like plan to die every year. Not in the spiritual sense of a good death, by the way, but you plan to just get spiritually sloppy and weak and, and crappy throughout every year so that at the end of the year you have to be revived and start back over. Is that is that what the Lord's vision and plan is? I ain't read nothing like that in Scripture. Right? No, so it's not exactly... Now, it's, it's a needed thing sometimes, but it's not a good thing like we look at either. So he gives this part. This guy finds the Word, and I, and I love that last part. Not only did he find it, but when he gave him the book, what does he do? He reads it. How many people have given you a book? And I'm guilty too, so my hand's up. And you throw it on the shelf when you get home. Or you just throw it in the back seat of the truck. Right? Throw it on the kitchen counter. You forgot to give somebody a gift, so you gave the book away before you even opened the first page of it. That's an awkward moment whenever somebody wrote your name and signed it. And you gave it away, by the way. <laughs> and the next person opens it and are like, hey, man, I, I think you gave me the wrong one. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it did. My bad. (laughs) They were already blessed by being able to get paid for the work they're doing. Now they're getting blessed by the word. Now, here's what you need to really understand. This is kind of a a really sad, as exciting as it is, it's a really sad section because Moses, before he died, he gave the book to Joshua, his successor. When when you read Deuteronomy and some of the rules and and, and laws or whatnot you want to call them, they, they had certain times of the year this was supposed to be read every seven years. It was every copy was supposed to be given to authoritative leaders. So every king was supposed to have a copy of this, right? It's supposed to be read every seven years out loud and at all the feasts and the festivals out loud. So here's my thing. Now, we've only got, from what I studied at least, we've only got like two or three times where the word literally word. Now, we got prophets and preachers and all that stuff going on. So I'm not saying there wasn't some speaking going on, but reading, public reading of the law, the word, right? We've only got like three sections in Kings. One was 500 years ago and another one was 250 years ago from where we're at today. That's a whole lot of every seven years skipping, isn't it? You mean to tell me nobody in all that time thought, man, maybe we should try to find this thing we're supposed to be reading. Maybe the reason we got crappy Kings is because they've neglected to read the word and neglected to be advised by the word. Because they've lost the word. Right? Now, this is something that's supposed to be read late. So, so as I read it, it's, it's something to be excited about. They find it. On the flip side, i got to be honest. Like, nobody in 400 plus years thought enough to go try to find it? They just threw it on the shelf when they got home and it fell behind the couch and nobody looked for it? Right? Now, if you're one of those people right now, let's go ahead and step on a toe. If you're one of those people, every Sunday morning, you got to go find your Bible because you ain't got no clue where it is. This is you. I mean, it is. Oh, I got to find it so I can walk in holding it and look more spiritual. I got news for you. Hold the Bible ain't going to make you spiritual. Having a Bible don't make you spiritual. Really, if I can be real honest, even when they read it, it don't make them spiritual. But they're going to choose to read. They're going to find it. They're going to read it. Then they're going to apply it. And that is what turns everything around and gets things going, right? So this high priest finds the book and, and they read it big time. They read it. They get so excited after reading it. You got, you got to catch this in the story, right? They're so excited after reading it. They race back to the king and read it to him. Right? Now, I don't know if they read the whole thing. I don't even know in all honesty. I was talking with Mitch yet or texting Mitch yesterday 
ask him, man, you think it was just the book of Deuteronomy where, where those rules and regulations were and, and something that, that we're going to close with today? Or, or do you think it was all the Torah, all five? You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What was it all? Which one? You know, and I really don't know. I have, I have no, I don't think anybody could say sure which one it was, but, but, but how much did they have to read before they got so excited they ran to the cave? Right? How much you got to open your word and start reading before you get so excited you want to text a friend or call a friend or run out and tell somebody about it? Now, notice you got to be reading the word before you can get excited to go tell someone about the word. So if you're thinking, oh, I hadn't did that in a while, well, you should probably open it up so you can get some of it going, right? It's not enough to simply have the book if you're not going to read it. And it's not enough to just read it if you're not going to apply it. How many Bibles sit on coffee tables every week that never get opened up? Huh? How many books sit on a nightstand in the bedroom that's never opened up and read? How many books sit on the back of a of the car window and never open up, never get taken out of the car? That's the smart people, so they don't have to look for it every week. They just got it in the car, so they know where it's at. Oh, it's right there. I just grab it and walk into church, and I'm good. How many desk offices have a Bible in them that never get opened up and they never get read? You know, we, we live in a, a day and age, guys, where even if we're not talking about physical copies of the Word, we, we ought to be so deep into scripture during the week, like it, it ought to blow the minds of those generations before us. You know, I hear people all the time talk about oh, how evil the Internet is and how bad this is. And how bad. It ain't evil unless you do an evil on it. That's about as dumb as saying the dollars are evil. I got a dollar in my pocket. It ain't hurt me yet. It ain't bit me yet. I ain't got no bruises from it yet or nothing like that. Now, what I do with that dollar is what's considered good or evil. Same thing with technology. But with technology, we got now, guys, we should be so much so much further advanced in understanding and getting into the word. You know what I'm saying? It's like the dumb argument of which translation's best. And we'll get people who go back to that, that, that original, and not pick on anybody, just being honest, right? We go all about the, the original King James back in the 1500s and all that. If you're going to tell me in 500 plus years we ain't learned nothing more advanced in Scripture, then we got a problem. Right? If there was a translation written 10 years ago and there ain't something better out now, there's a problem. Right? So you're going to argue over the time about which translation's best? The one, first is the one you're going to apply. That's the first one that's best. The second one is going to be the one that, that, that you studied the most and got into the most and have learned the most from, right? I'm talking about breaking down back to the original language and that kind of stuff. Now, we got no excuses anymore, man. You can get an app on your phone right now and you can go all the way back for, for the most part, not perfectly, but for the most part, you can get the Hebrew or the Greek or a couple little even Aramaic sections in there of the original stuff. And that's on my telephone. I don't know how to do that. Well, put forth some time and try it out. I bet you know how to do everything else on that telephone. Right? <laughs> well, let's just be honest. Am I right? You know the crazy part? I'm really not that good with with a smartphone, I got better with a smartphone after learning the Bible apps. <laughs> I think the Lord was training me in, in a weird order to, to get there. I'm serious, though. Guys, we've got so much potential and stuff around us, but we're not willing to do it. And the main thing is, like Josiah and his people, here, here's why they're blessed. They're willing to do what the Lord asked. Look, look at this next part. See, and again, this goes back to see the standard. It's not man. The, the standard is Lord. Look at what he says, verse 10 and 11. Then shaping the secretary informed the king, the priest has given me this book. And shaping red from it in the presence of the king. And you, you, can you imagine this guy? Like he's already got on fire just by looking out the window and seeing the temple not looking good. He's made these connections and, and he started cleaning out stuff at the age of 20. You can picture a 20 year old walking through the town, like removing idols and stuff. Like this, this is just an awesome guy, right? Then he's sitting in his chair and this guy runs in and just starts reading the word to him. And here's what verse 11 says. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he started tearing his robes. Now, y'all know my views and, and my pictures sometimes just get corrupted and messed up, right? Y'all want to know the first thing I pictured? Can I share my, my, my goofy spot with you guys? I pictured like Hulk Hogan. Yeah, you got it. Yes. I'm not the only idiot in the room. Thank you, Alan. Right? But I did. I'm telling you right now, like, oh, 1980 wrestling man. I pictured like just ripping his shirt off. But he's not ripping it out of anger. Literally, while I'm picturing Hulk Hogan, man, it's all going through my head. Like, he's not ripping it out of anger. He's ripping it because he's hurt. And he's emotionally distraught. And he's spiritually been hit in the back of the head. And, 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 it, and it's not a, I'm going to come get me some. It's a Lord, please help me. And, and he's ripping this clothes. And, and this was awesome. Because this is just like what we saw last week with a repentant heart. 
a repentant heart. We had Manasseh who was horrible. God, I'm so grateful for Chronicles where we get a good ending with him. Right? Because he did have a repentant heart. He saw the wrong and he turned away. He's willing to follow the Lord. Why should the Lord choose to reveal himself to us in a special way if we hadn't demonstrated a willingness to follow him? Right? Guys, it breaks my heart because I see so many people living a life of sin, dived in sin, dabbling in sin all the time. And then their first thing is, well, I don't understand why the Lord don't reveal stuff to me like he reveals to you. And I definitely ain't that good, to be honest with you, but I promise you I'm not dabbling in some of the stuff they dabble in. And I got to scratch my head. I'm like, why would the Lord choose to reveal himself while you're living that lifestyle and doing that kind of stuff? Now, that doesn't for those of you think, oh, does that mean the Lord? I'm not saying the Lord don't love them anymore or anything like that. Right? I'm saying they're not getting deeper spiritual understandings of stuff. Josiah is torn apart by what he's hearing. And here's what here's what's so obvious to him. Judah has neglected the warnings of God. To, to sum up the Torah, what, what does it say at the end? We, we've kind of said a couple weeks, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. But if you don't, what? I'm going to destroy you. You're going to be cursed. And I, I get to the part where he probably heard that right there. And he's like, oh, man. Like he didn't take rocket science, look outside and realize we've been messing this thing up. But here's what he does. He fesses up to his past failures. What do we do when we get caught? Make excuses. Huh? We do. Haley, why hadn't you cleaned your room? Well, Paxson came in here and he did this. Paxson, how come you didn't do this? Well, Reese came here and he did this. Ah. It goes all the way back to the very beginning, right? When, when God comes in and he notices this. The sin these knuckleheads have messed up. And he goes, Adam, what are you doing? He goes, well, that woman you gave me. Ah. So he goes to Eve and he says, Eve, what are you doing? He goes, well, that, that serpent you let in here. Like it's all God's fault. Right? You, you allowed it, Lord. I don't know in the world. Well, what would happen if we would just fess up to past failures? Instead of trying to make excuses about them. You can't truly repent if you aren't truly sorry, guys. Right? Which means you got to truly acknowledge you did wrong. So if you're not truly acknowledging you did wrong, there's a mess up. This man, is he's heard God's word, and now he's headed in the right direction with it, right? The standards are getting getting raised with this thing. And we're reminded the type of heart that we're supposed to have. Does, so maybe you can ask this way. Does the word change you? When you're reading the word, does it change you? Do you ever have those moments where you're like, oh, I dropped the ball there. I messed up there. I need to change that, right? When somebody preaching, I don't care if it's me on TV, radio, whatever. Do you hear the word? I gotta, I got to fix that. Or do you hear it and you're like, yeah, I'll make up an excuse. Right? So many of us read the, we read God's word, but we read it with like an eye of self-justification. Am I right? Like we apply the good stuff to our lives, but then the bad stuff we apply to somebody else's life. Am I right? Oh, the Lord wants to bless me, but he curses you. Right? Or, or, or this way, if God's condemning a sin in someone else's life, thus saith the Lord. Right, that's good. Amen. That's how it should be. But if the Lord is condemning you in your own life, I don't understand what God's trying to say. I don't fully get it yet. You get it, and it hurts your feelings. So now you're trying to cover up for it, right? What do we What do we really do when we open God's word? Do we let it tear us down like it's supposed to? Because God has an intention of tearing us down so that He can build us back up. Like it's all it's all part of the process, right? Josiah reveals the way that, that we should read God's word, which get, and He offers no excuses. One of the best ways you can read God's word is just go in with no excuses. Instead, we go in with this mindset of like we can translate it better than the guy who, you know, just spent who knows how long translating word for word in Hebrew and all the original stuff. And we think, oh, we know better than that guy. Right? No, no lie. I've been waiting for concrete at the shop for like three months. Right? So guys who are supposed to do it, if they watch online, God bless you. Right? Like, like good money for two guys to do this job, right? Never do it, never do it, never do it. One, one phone call, three days later, I've got five guys over there um, do, doing this job. They're knocking it out. It's clean. It's professional. It's awesome. This one guy happens to stop by. The original guy is supposed to do it. And he's walking over and he's looking at it. He's like, I don't know if they're doing it right. But they got concrete down, don't they? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I bet I can drive a car on there next week and jack it up and put some tires on it. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. We're so quick to want to hold judgment on stuff rather than just accept it the way it's supposed to be. And that's what Josiah does. He takes it. Verse 13. He comes to terms with saying, For great is the wrath of Yahweh that is aroused against us. Man, it's one thing like to acknowledge that you've messed up. It's another thing to have to acknowledge great 
is the wrath of the Lord, Yahweh, that is aroused against us. He knew that the kingdom of Judah deserved judgment. He's not making any excuses for it, right? He could not hear the word of God and respond to the spirit of God without seriously confronting the sin of his kingdom. You desire something different? You you get a desire to be different? You get a desire to change? Some change has to come with confrontation. Some change has to come with confrontation. No confrontation, you might not be changing for the best. You've got to set some standards, some rules. Well, you know, this is why I used to live, but I'm not living like that anymore. This is how far I used to go, but I'm not going that far anymore. This is the line I used to have, but now I've elevated that line. Your line should constantly be changing, by the way. If you're still living off the same line you used to live off of, you've really messed up. Right? Because you're not growing, you're stagnant. Look at the next section, 14 through 17. Guys, when it comes to the kingdom of Judah, what does it say? Judgment's coming. This scribe gets so excited that he takes the book to the king. The king hears it. The king's so excited, he starts tearing his clothes and gets all serious about it. Then notice the very next thing he says. I want you to take this thing, and I want you to go to Hulda the prophetess. Right? And I, and I want to find out the in-depth meaning. I, I want her to look at the words on the scroll. I want her to get this thing right. For great is the wrath of the Lord that poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord, so too according to all the written that's in this book. They hadn't been keeping what's written in here is what he says. I want to find out exactly what it's supposed to be so that we can do it the right way. And footnote here, by the way, guys, this is a woman who's called to ministry. All right? I say that because we're so quick on sometimes saying, like, is she a girl? They don't have all that crazy crap going on that we got nowadays. Okay, she's a woman. I promise you. Right? She's a prophetess, which means a female prophet. She's called by God. She's a a spokesman, spokeswoman for the Lord, right? Right? Oh, we, we, were you like nervous about this or what? Because you're Baptist church? I don't know. Should we amen that or not? We're Baptists. Screw that Baptist theology crap, man. Let's get in the word of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? I'm serious. I'm sick of like man-made theologies. Let's just dive in scripture and see what scripture says for stuff. Right? I'm getting fired, by the way, for that being on Facebook. I'm sure. I will get a call from Scriven this week. Do you know what you said? Yes, I know what I said. It'd be all right. Y'all will get over it too. Let's study it together. Check it out. Right? <laughs> Sorry, let me get out of trouble. <laughs> Here's what's cool, though, man. Here's what's cool. So, so you get this girl, this lady, this woman. And when I say girl, my wife tells me all the time. She goes, "You, you can't just say girl. Like that's that's under under undermining." I think is what she tells me. Like I, I don't mean anything undermining. I mean, hey, girl, I'm a boy. Like I ain't no rocket rocket science around here. All right. She's like, you have to call him a lady or a woman. I'm like, okay. So you got this girl, lady, woman. <laughs> She takes the scroll, she's checking it out, she's giving it back to him, and she's excited about it. And she shares it with him. And when he gets complete, here's what you need to understand. So he doesn't just get excited about something that, that another guy was excited about. He checks it out himself. He doesn't check it out himself. He then goes and gets somebody who's more knowledgeable, and they check it out together. Notice the steps. Because some of us, even innocently, we're getting a lot of trouble because we'll get like all excited about this one verse. And we'll like race out the door, ready to share it with everybody. We don't understand what the verse was talking about. Right? We, we just got excited about one little part. Check it out. you got to study, man. you got to put some time in it, all right? So he put some time in it with this guy. And he put some time in it with this lady, woman, man. Oh, not a man. I messed it up. Let's go on. Right? Anyway, she, she does all and, and he gets so excited about it. Now we'll look at what he does. And, and this is your note. When you get, it, when you get something from God, you got to share it. you got to share it. God didn't give you some of the stuff he's given you to keep to yourself. Like he gave it to you to share with others, including your messes and mistakes, right? So, so he does this. Josiah the king, he arranged for what? A meeting of all the people. Where at? At the temple. He's like, you know what? We're remodeling. We found the word. We found the law. We're going to all meet there now. I don't even know if all the people could fit in the temple, right? But they're there. And as they're there, what happens? Josiah starts to read the words of the law of Moses to the people. And as he's reading these words, he makes a covenant to follow the Lord himself. Here's a, here's a, a little extra uh, lesson or note for you if you want to be blessed by God and you want things to be different. you got to tell others so that you're held accountable. Right? Tell others so that you're held accountable. I didn't realize this week I got a customer who hadn't missed a week since we started being online. That's kind of scary sometimes as many as them become examples in a, in a, in a sermon, right? But, but it tells me, and he shared it with me and how much he loves and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's accountability, though. But when, when you preach out loud, that's accountability. 
When, when this guy calls all the people together and, and he makes this covenant tour, that's accountability. Because six months from now, when Josiah ain't doing the right thing, somebody in the town can say, hey, I thought you made a covenant with the Lord. You want to know why Bible studies or men's group or women's group and, and, and Sunday mornings? It's accountability. A good way. You humble yourself, become accountable to your brothers and sisters in a positive way. Not You better not be in a group, by the way, where they're beating you up every time you make this one. Now, sometimes you might need to get beat up. I'm okay with that, too. Right? But it shouldn't always be a beat up. Sometimes it should just be some type of encouragement. Right? Like, you can do this, man. Hey, you stiff. You fell. Get back up. Let's do it again. Right? Like, it's all right. You need that. You need that. Now, sometimes you do need the guy to come up and slap you in the back of the head and tell you, hey, you screwed up the same way seven times. That, that's the number of completion. You're done. Right? Like, we're going to stop completion right now. No, I mean, come on now. Right? He calls the nation to repentance right after this. And then look what God had. God sends this revival among them. Why? Because they found a book, they read a book, and they applied a book. It's great. It's great stuff that's taking place, man. You got problems in the church. You got problems in the community. You got problems in your home. You got problems in political environments. The church ain't going right. Find the book. Read the book. Apply the book. And by book, I mean the word. Right? You, you, you got husband and wife not getting along? Study the word. Children out of control? Study the word. Losing your job? Study the word. Unemployed? Study the word. You don't have a peace of mind? Study the word. Can't seem to get right with anybody? Study the word. Your joy gone? Study the word. You got a bad report from a doctor? Study the word. You got some aches and pains? Take Moltrin. Right? Shedding tears all night? Study the word. Can't find your way through? Man, study the word. And don't just study it. Apply it. 18 through 20. God's word then comes specifically to King Josiah and he says that this judgment is not going to come in, in your day. What? Can you imagine being Josiah like you, 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 you've agreed? Judah's really messed up. Like we, we deserve the wrath. I've read your, your, your part of the deal and our part of the deal and I, I know it's coming, right? And then God comes to you and says, but, but it's not going to come in your, your time frame. Now, this is for all those people who think like we believe the end of the world is coming but we don't know when it's coming, so we don't think we should do anything about it. What does Josiah do? I'll give you a hint. He stays on the same, he stays on the same path the whole time. There's not a trick question here. He gets on fire. He gets a king at eight. He gets on fire at 16. He does more at 20. Then he does something else at 26. I mean, this thing just keeps on progressing. He's not a, remember it said he doesn't backslide. He, he didn't go right or left. He stayed narrow and he stayed straight and he stayed on purpose. He, he, he goes out and starts preaching more. And starts getting more right in his town and his community and, and, and all those under him. And he does more. But Josiah, it's not going to come in your time. Well, then I'm going to get people ready for the next time. And the time that it does come. You see what I'm saying? Like I, I don't care when you believe the end of the world's coming. I, I really don't. And I get amused by people who think they figured it out more than anything else, to be honest, for other reasons. But if you do believe there is some great judgment coming, and it is, whatever style we believe it's coming in, Shouldn't we be telling the world? Shouldn't we be using that time? Shouldn't we be growing people in the right way? Verse 19, it says, it's not going to come in your time to say why, because your heart was tender. Your heart's tender to the word of the Lord. Your heart is tender to receiving of the Holy Spirit. Your heart's tender to the message of judgment from the prophetess and, and, and what she spoke to you. Verse 20, you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Now, I got to point this out because if any of you go home and study and check stuff out like I, I know all of you will. At least I want to believe you will, right? Josiah dies in battle. So when you read that verse, you're like, oh, you're going to go to the grave in peace. And then you read a chapter later that he dies in battle. I want to make sure you understand God's definition of peace ain't the same as our definition of peace. Right? Because, because what does he get actually get? He died before the great spiritual disaster. That's pretty good. Right? He, he died before the exile came to Judah. That, that's pretty good. Right? Uh, he was gathered to the, to the spirits of his father. So, so he, he, some of the kings didn't get to lay back down with them. So, so that's a good thing, right? He died in God's favor by the hand of an enemy. That's pretty good. That's peace. Peace ain't always going to come the way you define it, right? So I just want to make sure we understand it. Then at the end of 20, your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. God's got so much mercy because of Josiah's surrender and repentance and obedience to the word. There is always a blessing if we seek God's word Read God's word, apply God's word, and obey God's word. 
And if we get nothing else from Josiah, man, if we if we want to have a desire to be different, we got to have a desire to read God's word and let it make us different. He was devoted to God. He was devoted to, to the word of the Lord. And he let the word of the Lord come in and do stuff, stuff in him. Right. And he gets blessed for it. A desire for something different. A change doesn't happen by accident. Significant about what you're going for. See the standard. Set the standard. Fess up the past foes. Remove the roadblocks. And then be humble and accountable. Do this thing together with people. He does this with his whole town, man. Right? That's awesome. I mean, his whole community gets him together and just does this thing. And maybe maybe it's this. This this last verse from Deuteronomy. Maybe this is part of what he read that drastically changed his mindset. Maybe as... As that secretary was reading, or as Deborah was reading, or not Deborah, sorry. <laughs> I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love Yahweh your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him, for he is your life, and he will prolong your life in the land. Yahweh swore to give you your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's that's a promise from God. That's a deal from God. If you you love him the right way, he'll take care of everything else. But if you don't, deals work both ways. We don't often like to say that in church for some reason. I really don't understand why. We we want to change the word where it's only blessing, but I think that's because it makes us feel good. Maybe that, that wording, maybe that reading is what highlighted Josiah's change for the next level. And maybe the word that we read today can highlight us for the next level. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. God, I I thank you, Lord God, that we get to read from your word publicly every day of our lives. And I pray, Lord God, that we not neglect that. That we not forsake it. That we not take it for granted. Lord, I pray that we open it and we study it, Lord God. But I pray more than open it and study it, Lord God, that we apply it. I pray for your spirit, Lord God, the same spirit that, that dwelt among them. And this story, Lord God, that it come on in and it dwell inside of us this morning. God, if there's some cleaning and repair work that needs to be done in your temple, then Lord God, I pray that you open our eyes to see it. And give us the courage, Lord God, to step up. God, give us that desire to see where we need to take things and what we need to be doing. God, give us a hunger, Lord God, that we won't be satisfied with anything less. God, make us like like Josiah and like Isaiah, Lord God. We realize you, you, Lord God, are high and lifted up. And we are lowly servants. In your great name we pray. Amen.